You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and for this episode, you find me on location somewhere on the west side of Cork City. I'm doing an episode about the infamous St. Kevin's Asylum. Now, about a year ago, I was doing some research for a potential episode about, of all things, the insane clown posse and the juggalo culture. A very interesting subculture and a topic which I think uh, deserves a little bit of attention and that episode may still come out one of these days. However, I got waylaid when I noticed uh, on their website that their main landing page was a familiar picture of a spooky, forbidding red brick Victorian asylum. The building looked familiar to me. Indeed, uh, upon a little bit of research, I realised it was none other than the St. Kevin's Asylum, which I know well from my own Cork City. So for this episode, I'm going to head up to that spooky, forbidding, uh, abandoned asylum on the hill that is frowning down upon the city and has become a sort of a place of fascination, a place of urban legends, legend tripping, ghost stories, and a lot of real-life bad things as well, all of which we're going to cover in this episode of White Atlantic Weird. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. Of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. So, uh, growing up in Cork City as I did, I would often see this particular building. It's up on a hill at a location called Shanakil. It's an, a, basically a complex of buildings, um, the largest one of which is still uh, being used, and I'm looking at it now as I come down towards the, the River Lee on the west side of the city. That, I've always been told, is the longest building in Ireland. It certainly looks like it. So, as I said, it's a complex of buildings with a convoluted history and it's known by several different names to the people of Cork. But the main building, which is the sort of focus of a lot of the strange stories, is not this very large uh, grey building, but in fact a smaller but still enormous and rambling red brick late Victorian building to the east of the complex, which is known as St. Kevin's. Now, I grew up being able to see this from almost from my home. If I left the house and came around the corner, I was looking down a hill where I could uh, basically look down into a valley and up onto the, the other side where St. Kevin's was located. It has been abandoned for uh, since about 2002 and it was subject to a great fire in about 2017. I have been inside it uh, on at least one occasion that I remember back in my college days. Uh, myself and a friend uh, snuck in there back before security was as kind of tough as it is now. What I do recall is that a friend of mine from university had a bit of a tip as to how to get in. Um, what I remember was that we got as close as we could to the fences that block off the area, the part of it that's currently still locked up and abandoned. We managed to get in and we entered through a broken window in one of the auxiliary buildings, which then allowed us to get into a sort of an underground passage as I recall because a lot some of these um, larger separate buildings are connected by uh, underground passages all of which of course is, is tremendously uh, gothic and spooky as you can imagine but on this occasion I'm to be honest I'm less inclined to tangle with the authorities than I was when I was a bit younger and from what I've heard security is tougher than it is now but I'm on my way up towards it soon 
and I will have more to say once I get there. So, from the Harrowing by Name, Harrowing by Nature blog, from which I have taken some information about this structure, they write, Our Lady's Hospital, formerly Eglinton Asylum, was built to house 500 patients. It was the largest of seven district lunatic asylums commissioned by the Board of Public Works in the late 1840s to supplement the nine establishments erected by Johnson and Murray in 1820. Like the earlier buildings, the new institutions were corridor asylums, but with the emphasis on wards rather than cells. There was a change in style from classical to Gothic. Designed by local architect William Atkins, the Cork Asylum was one of the longest buildings in Ireland, almost 1,000 feet, originally split into three blocks punctuated with towers and gables. Atkins made good use of polychromy, contrasting Glanmire sandstone with limestone dressings. The elevated site overlooking the River Lee at Shanachiel appears to have been chosen by the local governors for dramatic effect rather than practicality, great difficulty being encountered in providing exercise yards on the steep slope. Named after Right Honourable Earl of Eglinton, the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, the institution opened in 1852. The asylum had three storeys, construction cost including site £79,827. Coming up the slope now towards uh, Shanachiel, what I can see is I'm a lot closer to the main building, the original structure that was Eglinton Asylum. It's tremendously en enormous. It's, it's the sort of thing nobody would ever dream of building now. It's an enormous uh, mid-Victorian Gothic architectural monstrosity. It's really beautiful actually, but in a very severe and forbidding kind of a way. It's all grey sandstone. There are towers, there are belfries. And as I get closer to it now, I see about about three quarters of it has been successfully transformed into modern apartments. The insides look very nice. But as I get closer to the end of the, the sort of eastern end of the building, I see that it's uh, walled off, cleared off, and there's a fence. And um, a lot of the structure here is abandoned. So it's uh, several stories tall, uh, kind of towering over me. Now further off to the east, a little further than I can get to right now, is the building which is the centrepiece of most of the sort of uh, spooky stories associated with the complex. That is the building known as St. Kevin's. Now St. Kevin's is a later structure, it's built in 1893. It's a much simpler uh, structure, it's not nearly as ornate and as gothic as the original building, but still it's late Victorian red brick, it's, it's very attractive in its own way, but uh, even more severe and forbidding if that is even possible. So. With nobody looking, I'm going to see if I can maybe get a little bit closer to it. So I'll keep you informed as to what I see when I get a little bit closer. So making my way a little bit closer to the structure, I'm maybe not going to say too much about how I got here, but um, you can see that a lot of fire damage was done in 2017. Now I was in working in Canada at the time, but I remember hearing about this um, online and being a little bit upset about it because obviously this building had been here in my vision uh, all, all my life growing up. What you can see now that I'm a little bit closer is that about two thirds of the roof is gone from the structure. Now, this place has been a bit of a magnet for ghost stories and, and lore and stuff like that, so I read. And that's one of the reasons why I've come here. Now, 
The first thing I'm going to mention is that I've had trouble coming across very specific stories of hauntings associated with this building. There seems to be a sort of a general feeling that it was a bad place and that therefore there must be some sort of spookiness associated with it, but it seems like distinct ghost stories are thin on the ground. Perhaps that's because it was only a, this, the, the structures here were only abandoned quite late, like between 1998 and 2002, so it hasn't really been abandoned that long. But I feel like what's going on here is that any, any structure that is as empty and desolate and as kind of scary looking as this, especially from the Victorian period, which of course we have all sorts of associations uh, with ghosts of. I think those kind of places just attract these stories. Now there has been a bit of a change in the sort of literature about paranormal happenings in recent years with people saying there is there has been a trope of using asylums particularly, abandoned hospitals, those kind of places that were maybe locations of pain and tragedy in the past and, and using them for ghost stories and people are now beginning to wonder if that's a little bit poor taste or if it can be done if it can be insensitive as well. Now I think it certainly can be done in poor taste and I think it certainly can be insensitive. I also think however that these places sort of naturally accrue ghost stories partly for that reason and I do feel that our engagement with places where these bad things happened, our engagement with places of tragedy happen for a reason. I think this is, especially with young people, it's a way to engage with mortality, with death and to try and test ourselves almost by coming a little bit close to an element of life which we are perhaps not entirely comfortable with. It's, it strikes me as a perfectly natural thing for young people in particular to be fascinated by places like this and to want to see them for themselves and to be a part of it. And as such, this area has become a bit of a, a locus for what might be called urban legends or even legend tripping, which is uh, kind of like what I am doing myself today. Can that be done in a way which is tasteless? I think so. If you are making a TV show that sort of emphasizes the adventures that your main investigators have uh, at the expense of the true story of sort of cruelty that is associated with the building. So in that, with that regard, I'm going to have a little mention of some of the things that were associated with this building. So while I say there aren't a lot of distinctive ghost stories associated with this area, the thing you hear most often is that there is a kind of a, a bad or a negative aura associated with it. And whether or not you believe in the supernatural, I think that could be a manifestation of people's knowledge of the very real bad things that happened here, which I in no way wish to trivialize. Again, from the Harrowing by Name blog. A distressing account from 1988 debated in the Irish Parliament on the decline of the hospital. The issue I have raised is the report of the Inspector of Mental Hospitals on Conditions in Our Lady's Hospital in Cork. The dormitory was locked off during the day. Each patient had a wardrobe. There was no soap and no towels were available. The toilet area off the dormitory was dirty and there were no curtains on the windows. We are not talking about prisons or shelters for the homeless. We are talking about a hospital. A 1939 report from the Abandoned Ireland website. I have never been so outraged as I have been by this report. I have known, and most of Cork has known or suspected, that this hospital was a disgrace. That was the position until we got this independent, authoritative, written document, and incidentally, I do not say it at the beginning, the fact that I have it in my possession renders me in breach of the Official Secrets Act because it is not a public document. It is among the most appalling, distressing, disturbing, offensive documents that I have ever had the misfortune to read. 
and from 1940, the people in Our Lady's Hospital are guilty of nothing. They are vulnerable, innocent, they do not deserve what is being done to them. They are victims of misfortune. They are victims of illness and indeed, tragically, of abandonment. They deserve our best. They have got our worst. Instead, we lock them up in a vermin-infested, unsanitary, dirty, dark confinement. It is a disgrace. I'm close enough now that I can see in through some of the windows. It's pitch dark in there, even though it's quite bright out on a summer's day. I'm going to look a little bit closer, but because of the fire damage, it looks as though much of the area is inaccessible for what I will uh, consider to be my own safety reasons. However, I do have a report from a close friend of the show who has been inside this building in the past with what we will call an investigative group and has perhaps more clear memories of it than I do. Hi, I'm Faye. I am one half of the Ghost Child series. Uh, we've previously collaborated with Kian and Wide Atlantic Weird on a couple of episodes and I'm very excited to be back here again today. So St. Kevin's was a very interesting spot that we visited quite a few times, uh, not for the ghost trail, but back when I was in a paranormal investigation group in Cork. Um, now, the group had been there a couple of times without me, so there was a few interesting incidences that took place before my visit, uh, but the things that I have noted that um, came up every time I was there was a very interesting sense of disorientation so this was something that hit absolutely everybody in the group regardless of their sense of direction and all of us would become very disorientated and the building's actually a very simple layout but we'd go in and we'd start forgetting what led to where and all of us at one point or another tried to exit the building from the second floor window and that was something that used to freak us all out and it happened so many times you'd walk in and you'd go to get out the window and be like wait no i'm really high up what's going on um so that that was a very strange one um there was also uh, one one member of the group in particular used to just see this man following them when she was there and she had mentioned him to me before we went in there she said oh there's this guy and he just i always see him he just follows us around like he doesn't approach us um, she was obviously of the impression that this was a paranormal thing rather than, you know, a real person. But we had been warned by security a few times that they'd found strange people doing drugs or wandering around in the building. So when they did come across us, they knew we were harmless and they used to kind of say, OK, well, um, we didn't see you. We don't know you're here. Just be careful and don't damage anything. <laughs> they were really good, really good guys. Um, so we'd sort of sneak in. And uh, a couple of times I think they didn't know we were there, but I think for the most part they did. Um, so there was a bit of a kind of an edginess one night in particular because we'd met one of the security guards on the way in and he'd said, the other day I saw a guy with an axe in the bush, so please be careful. So we said, right, well, no one's going to wander off on their own. We'll stay in groups of two or three. And uh, two of the girls went up to the top floor and then they rung us and they were screaming down the phone like, there's someone up here with us. There's someone up here with us. So me and the two people that I was with, we ran up the stairs and there was only one way up to that particular point. So if there had been anybody up with the, the two girls on the top floor, they would have passed us on the way down. So we ran all the way up. 
Um, the guy in the lead nearly got hit in the face with a crowbar because one of the girls was so scared that she picked up this crowbar and she was flailing around because she thought there was like some high person who was about to attack them. So we got up there and we were like, where is this guy? Where is this guy? And they were like, he's, he's down there. He's down there. He was just leaning against the wall watching us. There was absolutely nobody on that floor. But both of them swore that there was, there was a human... They, I mean, they thought so. They didn't think it was a paranormal thing at the time that had just been standing, leaning against the wall, watching them, and they were quite spooked out by that. Um, now, the girl in the group who said that she saw this guy all the time, when they described him, she said, oh, yeah, that's, that's just the guy. You know, he just follows, follows us around when we're here. But she said he never comes onto the third floor. So that became quite an interesting thing for us, and we thought, well, what is it about the third floor? Like, is he scared of the third floor? Is there something there? So... We went down there and um, tried to get some EVP and we sat there for a while and said the usual things like we're not here to cause any trouble, we just want to talk to you, is there anybody there, like all the cliches. Um, got nothing, but then when we played it back the following day, there was this really horrendous guttural sort of, I, I don't even know how I'd describe it, chanting or growling. Um, it, it basically, it was classic horror movie. It sounded like somebody going <laughs> into our recording. So we all thought, like, did somebody do that? Was that a joke? Come on, someone own up. But I mean, we, we sat in a circle, we could all see each other. So I don't know how anybody could have pranked us like that. Um, and I don't think anybody had access to the recording other than, you know, the girl that played it back. So that was a bit odd. Um, so I think the, the third floor for us definitely had something to it, uh, but we never actually saw anything other than that, that man. Now, I never personally saw anything. I sensed, I don't, well, I don't know if sensed is the right word. There was one night where I was talking to another member of the group and we were both just sort of standing in this corridor, we were mid-conversation, and we both turned and looked for some reason at the same, exact same moment. And we, we talked about it afterwards, but we both had this sort of weird sensation, and it was almost like we could see it, but couldn't see it, of something, almost like a black wall, just coming, like, flying down the corridor towards us. So we both sort of looked at each other and, like, jumped into another room, and it was a very odd sort of well, why did you do that? Why did you do that? What, like, what was that about? Um, but we, but yeah, we both agreed, I don't know, it was, it was a very, it's such an odd place. Um, and it was a very odd sensation and I couldn't really explain what caused it. There were two, I remember there was a set of stairs at either end, um, from what I recall, a set of stairs at either other, at either end, and then several floors that were just, they felt very corridor-like, like very long and stretched. Um, and what we tend to do is sort of either split up or split it into two groups and take opposite ends of the building and just sort of go like floor to floor to floor um, and dig around and see what we could find. I mean, there was an awful lot of debris and it was absolutely filthy, like old mattresses, like there was even needles in one room. There was filing cabinets, like people's actual medical files were still lying out on the ground, like where they'd just been dumped. Um, and I think people had been having little fires in there as well, so it was pretty filthy. I hadn't actually heard anything. It was the people in charge of the group who um, said, right, okay, we're gonna go to St. Kevin's, and they sort of told me what had happened to them. So they had previously been twice. They'd had an experience where they were just wandering around, checking out the building, and a bunch of teenagers had followed them because they were bored. And they said there was just this sudden 
they all had this sudden feeling that they shouldn't be there at the same time. So they turned around and all the teenagers had legged it and were busy like pelting back down the stairs. So they ran after them and they felt like all the shutters were banging and the windows were banging. And there was almost like a wind chasing them out and they didn't feel welcome and they wouldn't go back in. Um, so they told me that. And the girl who always saw the random man following her, she told me that she'd seen him. Um, and there was a little, a few people sort of touched on the history ever so slightly and said, you know, oh look, it's a really dark place and some bad things have happened there. So, you know, it's a place that we go to quite a bit. Um, but that was it. So I didn't know an awful lot going in, um, but it's such an imposing building or it, it felt very imposing when I got there that I was impressed anyway. So big thanks to Faye from The Ghost Trail. I'll put a link to her show uh, on the show notes for this episode. Now, at the building now, looking in the windows, I can see some evidence of what she's talking about. It's certainly clear that there are people using the building, um, perhaps during the night time, for making fires, leaving stuff behind. I can also see evidence of some of the old medical paraphernalia, the files, the folders, uh, and the uh, cabinets that were used when this place was indeed a medical facility. Now, alongside all of the real-life horrors that undoubtedly took place here, I have finally tracked down at least a single precise encounter of a ghost story associated with this building. Once again, from the Harrowing by Name, Harrowing by Nature blog, we have a post telling a story that goes like this. Worked in security with people that did security down there and refused to go back. Everyone knows the story about the place, so a certain security company got a Polish person to work there. This man knew none of the history on the, of the place. The big, he was a big man who loved his gym and working out. Honestly, was not afraid and sceptical about ghosts. The story goes that he was on a 12-hour shift in a part of the building where they had made an office for security next to where they stored all the old stuff from the place, old lockers and stuff. I witnessed the room myself. Basically, just a load of clutter. This fellow was like four or three hours into his shift and decided to doze off in the third hour and was woken up by scratching noises. So he got up, checked out the room and was walking down the corridors and he swore that he saw a person walk out into a room right in front of him and was saying, hey, you shouldn't be there. The guards are on the way. No way out. And literally walked in behind the person and the room was empty with blocked windows so they couldn't have got out. He said it was one of the old rooms where the padded cells were. He left straight away to go back to where the office was to call the patrol van to come and check the place with him. The phone was fucked, wouldn't even turn on, had to go to an apartment at the back of the place to contact the patrol driver. The same man refused to go back there and he knew nothing about the place. So to wrap up this episode uh, on my way back towards the west side of the city, it's got to be said that um, handling material like this ought to be done, I think, sensitively. I take an interest both in the the human rights abuses that were going on here, but also in the folklore that springs up inevitably around places like this. I do think there's something natural and something human about it, and I do think that the way this happens is one of the ways in which we as people and as communities come to terms with tragedy. You've been listening to White Atlantic Weird. My name is Kean. If you'd like to get in touch, best place for that is on Twitter, where we are at Strange Ireland. We really, really appreciate if you share episodes with people who might be interested, and we're always interested in reviews and stars on whatever uh, program you are using to listen. So stay safe, and thanks for listening.
We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.